It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Information security is one of the most important topics in technology today. Is your data secure? Bring Your Own Security Radio is here to help keep you up to date on the latest trends, software, and apps to make sure that your data stays secure. Bring Your Own Security Radio is about to begin. Here are your experts, Dave and Jason. Jason the Crowder's wild. <laughs> That's right. They're applauding for you, Dave. Well, you know, I, I, you know, somebody they had to applaud for somebody. Might as well be me, I guess. Yeah, I, know, so I don't I know. know. Just chop liver over <laughs> That's here. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in again. Another awesome <laughs> sauce week. You know, is how I threw sauce in there. You'll see that why here in a few minutes. But another yeah, awesome sauce week. I'm the puns of uh, BYOS. Oh, yeah, we got a few, baby. We got a few tonight. So we'll pull uh, some dad jokes out. There you go. Well, I you know get my uh, get my splattered mat on, and I'm ready to roll tonight, baby. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, for those of you that don't know it, I'm Dave. He's Jason. Yep. Bringer Security Radio. Uh, tonight we've got a little bit of a uh, an interesting combination of um, experience going to uh, join us. So we'll let him introduce himself here in just a moment. But um, mm-hmm. I want to remind everybody that coming up over the next Gosh, maybe three months, four months. If you have not ever been to any kind of security slash tech conference, you don't have to go to one of the big boys like a DEF CON or a Black Hat, although we'll be out there and it's going to be awesome. So if you do yeah. happen to show up, come say hi to us. But visit some of these smaller ones. There are some regional uh, smaller ones that have been just outstanding and and. We've said it before, we'll say it again, the B-Sides events, if you have one in your region or reasonably close, drive and go see them. My God, those events are awesome. Hmm. So, Jason, it is time. I don't know if you've been practicing your your puns, if you've got some uh, lined up for yourself. No, I'm going to wing it. Okay, well, we'll see how well you can do then off the cuff with those. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, for those of you wondering what the hell we're talking about, our guest, who is Chris Sanders, uh, he's a founder of Network Defense, uh, founder of the Rural Tech Fund, which we're certainly going to spend some time talking about. Used to be around uh, the Mandiant people, FireEye, if you know him by that name, uh, some other groups in Guardian, Department of Defense, and a bunch of other stuff. He's wrote some books. Uh, he's done a lot of stuff. But why... Jason and I kind of are licking our chops. See, see, I threw that one. There you go. (laughs) 
Chris is a self-proclaimed oh, barbecue pit master, and uh, and yes, we're going to grill him on that. Okay, I, and, there, and there's that. Yeah, I think I've I think I've shot my load now. I don't have any more. <laughs> I've, I've used all the ones I can think of. <laughs> so before I make it any worse, let's bring yeah. him in with us. Chris, are you there? Hey y'all, how's it going? Hey, buddy. <laughs> how's it going Chris? So we're we're trying to to find all the all the food slash grilling references yeah, and yep uh, yep. yep. I think we would have done it, but I'll I'll just tell you, fellas, I wouldn't put Pun Master in y'all's titles. (laughs) That's true. That's true. (laughs) Well, we're not we're not in the land of sweet tea right now. That's right. We got to get a little farther down south from where I'm at, anyway. That's for sure. (laughs) So, Chris, let's let's take a minute and uh, outside of all the 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 ridiculousness of, of Jason and I, take a minute and just kind of introduce yourself and kind of where you've been and where you are now and some of the things that you're doing yeah sure i can do that uh if the, if the accident didn't give it away from the south uh originally from a town called mayfield kentucky uh, I've, I've wound up in uh, north georgia now a town called Gainesville, but uh, started out of kentucky um my first job was as the systems administrator of the school district i graduated from uh, the first one they had that was a fun and interesting time uh, eventually found my way to the Department of Defense, had a couple roles there working with uh, the Army Research Lab and then Spay War. Uh, that's where I really got focused on network security monitoring, security operations center, helped build and lead some security operations within those groups. Uh, eventually wound up in the uh, in the private sector, worked for a company called Guardians, uh, Mandy and Fire Eye that you mentioned, and about a year and a half ago, left to uh, to kind of do my own thing. Started a company called Applied Network Defense, which really focused on training and education. That's kind of my passion. Is is uh, you know I enjoy being a player, but I always thought I was a better coach, and so uh, this gave me an opportunity to do that. So did all those things along the way. I've written a few books: uh, Network Security Monitoring, some Packet Analysis, uh, and the Rule Tech Fund, which I'm sure we'll talk about here a little bit. Right on. Well, let's jump right into some of the tech stuff, and and let's talk a little bit about. Well, let's jump right into the books and 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 packet um, capture and the the uses. I mean, those of us who are in the infosec field or even in the networking side of all of this knows that packet capture is a staple tool uh, that we use, if not daily, probably weekly or or thereabouts. Talk about how. Or not how, but the research that you've done and some of the the ways that you have had to implement um, packet capture and and what benefits has it brought into your career? Yeah, for sure. I I think the first case I really had to really dive in and use packet analysis tools, and this was a long time ago. This was back when I was at the school district, and um, it was called it wasn't called Wireshark back then. It was called Ethereal. um, Mm -hmm. To date myself a little bit. And uh, we had a tool that, that teachers would use to input their grades, and, and I had a suspicion that, it, you know, clear text passwords, that those are being translated, and that maybe some students were able to intercept that and, and change their grades and do some things they weren't supposed to do. So I, uh, I investigated. I, I learned how to do some packet capture and found the clear text passwords, and I was able to show the, the superintendent of the district. I said, you know, hey, log in, and hey, here's your password, which, uh, you know, was probably not the best way to go about that, um, but it was, uh, it was a learning experience. and. It kind of helped me realize the power of a packet, so to speak, that no matter what an application says, this application says, you know, secure with the big lock logo. And no matter what it says, that uh, that packets don't really lie. They, um, 
you know, they, they tell the truth most of the time. They can be encrypted, but the truth's there if you can figure out a way around that. But um, that opened up a whole new world for me, and it was a challenging one, too, because the first thing you do when you open up Wireshark now is kind of get overwhelmed because there's just a lot there. It's a lot to go through, and it's very challenging. Uh, but it's kind of a puzzle, right? There's a, there's an order and a sequence to it, and you can really figure it out if you spend time on protocols and just you know, what it, what to be expected of network communications, how devices talk on the network. So that was that was really valuable for me, and it, it's something I've carried throughout my career. It led me into a career in network security monitoring, where I, I spend a lot of time uh, catching bad guys via their network traffic, learning, you know, looking at abnormal behaviors amongst normal traffic, uh, and I segue into that security part of my career. Um, from what started as a systems administration networking task, but whether it's you know systems administration, network administration, or security, packet analysis has a pretty darn big role in it. You know, when you first said that packets don't lie, I could just hear security in my head. I'm sorry, with the the hips don't lie, so <laughs> I just, that's exactly what I heard uh, as you said that. So it made me even more interested. But uh, all kidding aside, the reality is is exactly what you said. It's it's a staple, and if you're not yeah. If you don't know how to 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 distinguish what you're looking at, you certainly need to take time learning and, and or teaching yourself. And, and that leads me into one of the things that you've done. So you've written books um, on this topic, and um, network defense is a education slash training company, and that's one of the staple topics that you teach. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I, when I started doing this, it was really hard to learn about it because nobody, people were doing it, you know, there's some people that were doing it and weren't thinking about it, and it wasn't as easy to find the blogs and things and on Twitter and such back then. Uh, so it was it was a challenge. So I, I, I've always been kind of educationally minded, so I started blogging about it. Um, when I was at, I was learning, I wrote a blog series called Packets 101. Um, it picked up on Dig at the time, but I don't even remember Dig, the big kind of link aggregation, Reddit before Reddit, so to speak. Um, made it to the front page of Dig, which is mostly tech-focused, and um, brought a lot of traffic, crashing up the blog, and one of the people who saw it was Bill Pollock, who runs No Starch Press. He you know, said, hey, this would make a really cool book, and the first edition of Practical Path Analysis was born, and that was over 10 years ago, and, and now we're in the third edition, and there's a space on it, and it's something I've continued to do because I like to do, I like introducing it, especially the entry level. I really love taking people who Literally, know nothing about network communication, about packets, and helping them get over the intimidation that kind of comes with it because it is an intimidating thing. Started. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, it, it, it is. Yeah, yeah, it, it's intimidating. I mean, Jason. So, uh, you and and Chris share a little bit of a commonality of having um, some government three-letter agency stuff in mm-hmm. your work yeah. history. But I mean, so Jason, even in your day-to-day right now. You're not a network admin kind of person or a system admin kind of person anymore, but no. I mean, how much? Even I mean, now, I'm not even an, I'm not even an engineer anymore. <laughs> well, but I mean, so even in your day to day life, though, even now, so you're still having to deal with some level of packet analysis, even if it's training. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, right? man. And I mean, that's that's the big part of having that skill set that actually is that makes it an advantage for me, for sure. Well, I think, yeah, I I think that, anyway, so I I don't want to beat the horse on packet analysis, but I'm I'm almost sure that you can't. Um, Yeah, yeah. anyway, so packet analysis has certainly been a great thing for me. But Chris, 
So once you once you took that time to educate yourself and and get proficient and or you know somewhat even borderline expert level with the analysis what tools did you start using if any to to start collating that information and making it better i mean cuz to look at raw packet analysis is rough to say the least mm-hmm. you know did you find tools that you thought were better than another or some hints that you could give to our audience that that maybe they didn't think of to to help them take a look at that packet stuff yeah. better yeah i mean i think wireshark is really the the de facto standard now it's it's i, I don't know if, if it's quantifiable truly but it's probably one of the biggest open source projects that exist right now um and has been for for quite some time right so it's got a huge contribution place it's a ton of developers they have their own conference every year one in the u.s one uh, overseas, great support group, uh, and it's just a really well-built tool. It, it, it does a great job at giving you the flexibility you need while not getting in your way. That, that's the tool of choice, and it's graphical. It runs on Linux, Mac. It runs on Windows. It's super easy to install. Um, it's built into to popular distributions like Security Onion uh, and I think even Kali, so you can you can use it and get up and running with it really, really quickly. That's, that's probably the place to start. Um, when you want to start getting deeper and you want to start, you know, really understanding the bits and bytes and breaking things down hexadecimal, and, and especially if you're going to like maybe be dissecting protocols that are custom, like like custom C2 for malware or maybe some IPS protocols that don't have parsers built for them, something like that. At some point, you're probably going to want to get into the command line um, and do some things there because then you have the flexibility of typing output to Linux command line tools, sed, rep, things of that nature. Um, so at that point, once you're on the command line, of course, there's a, a command line equivalent to Wireshark called T-Shark. Um, it's really great because it uses a lot of the same protocol dissectors, so you can look at your Layer 7 application that are protocols and, and filter on those and use all the great filters that are built into Wireshark, uh, as well as the statistical features. Um, if you want to go a bit basic or if you just need to, to do something really quickly, there's TCP dump, which is kind of the de facto standard among Linux folks because it's pre-installed in a lot of operating systems, super readily available, um, and kind of workhorse you can do a lot with it. But those are really the two big, two or three big tools are Wireshark for graphical and C-Shark and PCB dump on the command line. Nice. Well, and certainly Wireshark and T-Shark are my two staples, um, having used those for most of my career as well. But so as as you've learned, so now let's go a step further, Chris, with I've I've got this great, uh, I don't know, gig of data, two gigs, six gigs, whatever it is of, of information that I need to figure out what's going on in my, my environment. What's, give us some, give our audience some idea of, of time. You know, you're clearly not just capturing a few bits and bytes of data and saying, oh, here's my problem. In some cases, you're maybe hours, days, weeks, months. Can you give us some examples of some of the, maybe some of the easier things that you've been able to find using uh, that type of technology and some of the things that took time? And, and is, do you have examples of, of those type of problems? Oh, you know, it, it really depends on your mindset when you go into the PCAP. Where, where people generally struggle is if they just, they're trying to answer, they're trying to figure something out, and you know maybe they they got an alert and they say, okay, I think something malicious has gone on, and they take a, an individual host and they pull all the PCAP for it for an entire day, um, and they you know that's not really a good way to approach it because you you know 
With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That doesn't mean normal because protocol, there's a problem with communication. Those are suggestions for how you can a lot of those to the letter of the ambiguity. So, some things don't work like they should, and then you have your protocols, like on Microsoft protocols, like SFB, and, and things like that. There's different dynamics. Like only a machine can analyze some of that stuff too effectively. Uh, you just go in and say, give me a package back then, like, I'm going to have a key is asking specific questions. This is true across all of the investigations. Um, you know, the second is the question of space is a problem. Asking the right question. If you go into packet capture, asking the right question, and you're going to start to store a little bit of stuff. You're starting with a much longer time frame, maybe maybe a sport. Yeah. Yep. Right on time. Lived under a rock. Yep. And that is awesome. Yes. I'm here. All right. Yeah.
Yeah. Yeah, I think the point I was trying to get at there is just basically you have to go into a packet catheter question and the specific questions and specific answers. So there's a way you can interpret that, but I mean, most of the time if you catch the network security file, it's probably because you've been alerted to some type of malicious activity, right? So, you know, an example might be, you know, I get an alert that a host on my network has visited the landing page for a blue kit. Now, of course, they visit the landing page. That doesn't mean they've been infected. Right? That just means they visited the landing page and maybe they were, were redirected and downloaded something malicious that was then executed and maybe was an exploit. So that's our question right there. What happened after they visited the landing page? Did they download any files? What were the file types? Did the system start communicating with any other host immediately after the file was downloaded? Right? Those are all questions that can be answered very quickly in a PCAP. Right? It's just a matter of, at that point, probably filtering HTTP traffic and mm-hmm. looking at the files that are transferred and, and so on, right? So specific questions get specific answers and, and you have to let your inputs guide you. Yeah, the filtering on Bioshark works pretty damn good too. Yep, absolutely. Right on. Well, all right then. So, so we've talked a lot about uh, packet capture, probably longer than I thought packet capture would uh, even carry us into a conversation, but... I guess we all agree that you, you just can't understate its importance. So um, let's let's move on, though, Chris. We've only got 45 minutes total with you, and there's a lot of stuff you're doing and a lot of stuff you're uh, involved with and uh, places that you've worked. So we certainly want to try to touch on experience across the, the all the way. So let's jump into your days over at InGuardians. Um, you, that company is, from my research, um, was all about um, testing and uh, look like pen testing and other types of uh, persistent testing. Tell us about your involvement with InGuardians and the types of things that you were doing with them. Okay, great. Well, let me ask you this. How familiar are you with the Amish? Uh, the, I am actually, I used to live in the biggest Ohio Amish county, uh, Holmes County. So I'm very familiar with Amish. Springer. Oh yes, I very much know about Rome Springer and uh, okay. and their time well, to get out and play. Yeah. Okay. So, so you're right. So for the listeners, I'm familiar with, with Rome Springer. We, we had Amish in West Kentucky, so I'm familiar with that too. But they uh, basically, at a certain age, when you're Amish, you have the opportunity to leave the, the community and go out on your own for a little while, and, and a lot of them tend to go pretty wild and crazy and get to experience the world. And then the idea is. From there, you get to decide, do you want to go back to the Amish community or do you want to stay out in the, the broader world? And that, I say that because and Guardians was kind of like my room springer, but from the blue team to the red team. Uh, so I, my whole life I've been focused on blue teaming, network security monitoring, security operations centers, and, and Guardians was basically an opportunity to work with some of the best penetration testers in the business and uh, and learn from them and do some of that work, which I had not done a ton of before that. So that's what it was for me. It was really a lot of that. You know, I did some of the blue team work I'm used to and brought some of that to the organization. A lot of a couple of good blue teamers there as well, but a uh, really small company founded by a lot of the, the SANS faculty and, and, and mentors and things, and uh, really great time doing a lot, of, a lot of testing and trying to learn those skills to help make me a better defender, and uh, it did. You know, I learned a lot of that, and uh, I spent uh, a couple of years there, and then I decided to go back to my blue team community. <laughs> So they couldn't keep you ever on the dark side, huh? No, no. I just it, it just wasn't for me. I just you know I just like showering too much. I didn't want to wear hoodies all the time. One of those deals. Nah, <laughs> I, I, <tried>. kid, 
Uh, that's, well, you know, for, for many outside of our world, that's exactly what they think of red teamers slash hackers slash pen testers and not knowing how to how to deal with us. So they just figure we all are hoodie wearing, no shower gamers living in our parents' <laughs> basement. Um, yeah, although, and, and I'll tell you, like, I, my, my wife says I dress like a retired high school football coach, so I don't have any room to talk about how anybody dresses. Oh, hey, it's a good, it's a good cover. That's right. And, and, and in all fairness, I'm moving into Jason's basement, not my mom's anymore. So I'm just <laughs> <laughs> Jason. I need I need you to anyway. So yeah, when you talk about um, for those that um, maybe are um, so we have we know that our audience is a, a wide mix of experienced slash uh, folks who are new and or even high school and college uh, students in the infosec world and uh, trying to break in. So let's, let's let's break it down for just a moment. When we talk about red team and blue team, you know, blue teamers are the people that are defending their network. So that would be like your your in-house network IT uh, team. And the red teamers are the basically perform like the bad guys. Talk a little bit about the type of things that you had to do from, you know, recon to to the actual test itself. Yeah, so we were we were in a consulting role, um, and basically people would hire us to come in and, and you know break into their network and tell them how we did it. Um, generally, one of two ways that generally happened. One was external, so we you know they basically gave us their IP range and said go at it, and we kind of treated it like a, an external attacker would. Um, you know, scanning uh, scanning those ranges, looking for services that were listening, and then probing those services and trying to, to find out you know could we get any weird responses from them, were there any vulnerabilities, was there anything we could attack there. Um, the other side of that was the internal pen test, where you know, most organizations realize nowadays that you're going to get breached because a user is going to click an email or, or you know, click a link or, or something like that, or drive-by download, what have you. But that, that initial compromise is inevitable. So they say, well, let's just go ahead and assume that happened, and we'll let you plug into the network and pretend like you compromised one of our machines and see how far you can get. Right. Yeah. Uh, so that, that we did that side of it, too, which was more fun. Those were generally an on-site type deal where we went out to the customer side, and and those were really fun just because you know high rate of success, which is always a fun thing. You know, you, that's that's always good. But you also get to get into some fun shenanigans there. I mean, one time uh, we were challenged. We were on like the first floor, and they challenged us to be able to gain access to the sixth floor where the the C-suite was. And you know, it was a deal where we broke in and we, we managed to get access to the card badge system and elevated our badges and went up to that top floor and just said hi to the CEO, and that was always a fun time, right? You get, you get fun shenanigans like that, but uh, it was a good time. So you, you never, you don't have no, you don't have no get arrested stories? No, I didn't do a <laughs> ton of physical pen testing, and, and I'll be honest, like, you know, I did about everything that we offered, all the services we offered, I did most all of them, but I only did the, like, the, the physical social engineering type stuff mm-hmm. once, because I have this problem where I can't, like, if I, if I lie to someone, like, I got to start laughing. <laughs> um, and so like, I did like a phone thing once where I was talking to someone and I was trying to you know, trick them into giving me like personal information and like, I just had to get off the phone really quickly because I just started laughing and couldn't stop. So <laughs> my personality is not quite right for social engineering. That's all right. Uh, I've never heard of social engineering fail because of that. So that's, uh, that's mm-hmm. a new <laughs> that's a new story <laughs> for me. Just as, as to hear you say that, I, I'm thinking of my own pen test uh, experiences and stories and and I might even fall on the other end of the spectrum I was more apt to be the first person they would suspect 
and I had to quit being so, um, whatever, dark or fitting the typical mold of, of that type of person. I had to appear more of like the correct businessman. And I know it's all part of social engineering, but yeah. I always liked the dark look side and, and that did not serve me well with the physical pen test. So um, it's funny to hear that the exact opposite also exists. So you know, it, it's funny, and it's one of those things that I'm probably you know helped me to be good at, but I just I realized very quickly I'm not good at it. Uh, I focus on other things. Nice, and uh, you know, and that's that's yeah. right. There is the entire IT field in a nutshell. You find what you're good at and what you like uh, in this particular yep. field, and you focus and become great at it. And yep. uh, there's just so much of it that you just, in a lot of cases, you just can't do it all. Yep, that's yep. exactly right. Um, so, uh, Chris, let's jump over to your days at Mandiant slash FireEye. Um, I'm not sure what they were called when you were with them, but what are some of the roles or functions that you served with them, and were you around during the merge, acquisition, whatever word is appropriate? Yeah, yeah. So I was worked for both hired by Mandiant um, and and. But it was very shortly thereafter I was hired that the acquisition happened. Um, so I was on a, on a Mania product team. We were, we were building a product called the Analytics Platform, which is basically a cloud-based sim type operating system that injected logs and things like that. And I was basically hired as kind of subject matter expert and, and SOC type work um, to kind of help guide some of the product direction on that, but also to lead the, the detection team for that group. So basically my team... Um, small team, like it, it varied between six and eight people, and we um, we basically built the rules, like detection IDS signatures um, for the product. Um, my role kind of grew over time. Um, ended up involved with some other detection teams, leading some other folks in those groups, and and kind of just being kind of a sounding board for you know we we want to do this with the process with the program uh, with the, the application. Does this make sense? Also, got really heavy into the research side. Our research really combines kind of cognitive psychology and human behavior with the investigative process. Like so many people do investigations, but even the people who are really good at it are not good at telling you why they're good at it or teaching others about it. So that was really my research area. And especially towards the, the end of my time there, I was really focused on that and just trying to learn more about the investigative process and how humans process data and how they can do it in a better, smarter way to solve security incidents. So it was... Certainly, it started out as a very operational role. By the time I was gone, it was a very research-heavy role. How do you see uh, companies like Mandiant and any of the other companies that are selling either um, some something as a service, uh, X as a service type of feature, or consulting and coming in? You know, when you have um, maybe a, a larger company that has an in-house IT and they're bringing, we'll say you guys, for lack of a better phrase, in to, to help them out in some way. How often did you experience um, the us versus them outside of the red team, blue team scenarios? But did you find that as a consultant um, in this sector that you had an us versus them mentality or were people more open as uh, you were a partner trying to offer them some service that was helpful? 
You know, it, that's a good question. It, it, it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. A little bit of a grab bag. Um, so I, I wasn't I wasn't doing direct consulting with customers for a lot of this. I mean, I, I dealt with some customers who were using the product groups product that I was in, um, and I and I worked of course with a lot of the consultants. Um, so I, I did it with some customers, but not a ton. And, and it's really just a mixed bag. I mean, we had some customers who, you know, maybe they had originally called us for incident response, and we came in and helped them clean things up and got them through the the whole media process. Was all through that. Um, you know, those folks tended to be, you know. You really help them, right? Like they they were really you know in trouble. You help them, and it kind of builds this enduring relationship. And you know, usually ends up being a, a positive relationship. Like they ended up buying a couple of the products because with Mandiant, like a lot of the products that we you know they sell, their actual incident responders use. Um, and most most companies are like that. I mean, that's not going to be any different for like your crowd strikes and so on. So you know, if that relationship well, they would buy some of the products. So there'd be this kind of ongoing relationship, and it would be a very positive thing. I mean, you even saw a lot of the times where these customer these Customers would end up actually hiring Mandiant consultants full time to help build and lead their security programs. So, see, we saw a lot of that. Um, on the other hand, we we saw some of the other too, right? Where someone comes in and you know, someone you know, the CISO comes in and calls Mandiant folks or somebody like that in for consulting, and you know, they don't tell anybody, and then all of a sudden they show up or, or those folks showed up, and it um, you know, the folks on site were kind of offended. They, they really thought they had it in check, and, and maybe they, they did or they didn't, but it, it creates kind of this rift. So. It's a, again, it's a grab bag. Sometimes it's really positive. Sometimes it's a little adversarial. You know, I like to think in most cases it, it works out because you know they realize that the consultants are there to help and, and have unique experience. It's not about who knows more than the other. It's just about diversity of experience, and that's that's a positive thing in almost any case. So, all over the map. Right on. So, for for our listeners who are maybe still students in high school or college or just getting their feet wet in any part of IT. What suggestions or tips would you have, or even just a quick advice, to help them overcome those types of confrontations, for lack of a better word, or at least you know challenges, so that they don't start off on the wrong foot with a client? Right? They want to make sure they're starting off on a good, I'm your partner kind of mentality. Is there is there something that you can say to 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 help them keep keep their focus? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to realize that information security is kind of a, a knowledge-based economy, right? It, it's The field is so poorly defined, and, and it's so abstract. Like we don't, we don't even know how to train people to do the job really well. And so what you have is you have people that hoard knowledge because they view knowledge as power. Um, and and to some, in some places it is, right? Like I, I'm, I'm not saying this is a fake economy. Like this knowledge economy exists because some people build careers on, you know, 
not just knowing more than others, but showing off that they know more than others. Uh, no, I agree with that. Yeah, so it, it, we it exist in a knowledge-based economy, and you know you have to know that it exists. You don't have to play that game. Matter of fact, I, I try to actively avoid playing that game. I, you know, it, it's the old saying: once you, um, and I, I think I can say this on the radio, but like the best thing you can do is realize that you're in a pissing match so that you can get out of it. Um, and that, that's that's the biggest thing is is you're going to encounter people who they're what they're trying to do is is they don't even realize this, but they're trying to show that they know more than you and show it in a visible way and. That doesn't make them bad people. That's just what they do, and, and having empathy for that is important, and just recognizing it because you know eventually the rubber has to meet the road. Somebody, you know, you got to look at the bits and bobs, figure out what's going on, or, or break into the system, or you, you have a task that you have to do. And ultimately, the cream can rise to the top. Don't play the politics. Don't play the games, and um, just really, just really focus on on again empathy for other folks, and just focus on the work at hand. Right. That that. When I say that, it sounds easy. It's not. It's really, really hard, especially when you get to like these consultant customer relationships and intra-office politics and stuff like that. But just be aware of the knowledge economy that it exists and recognize that is not the only way to provide and prove value. You are exactly right. I couldn't say it better myself. That is, uh, it's it's very interesting um, subculture within the IT slash consulting mm-hmm. world, without a doubt. It's a skill set, even of its own that um, I think if somebody could figure out how to actually teach that skill, um, there's probably value to just that alone. But um, as we mentioned teaching, I want to uh, step back and go back to your company. So one of the courses that I saw in your course catalog was, well, you had two things that I wanted to ask you about. So we've talked a lot about uh, packet analysis, so I want to skip over that one. But you have a course that you call investigation theory, and without you know giving it away, uh, so that people would want to come and take it. Can you give us some some idea of what investigation theory is all about? Yeah, great. So we, we talked a little bit about it already, and I've kind of mentioned about my research in psychology and how it meets up with the investigation process, and and also this notion that even the people who are really good at the job of being a SOC analyst or a forensic responder or, or something like any of those roles, even if they're really good at it, they don't necessarily know why they're good at it or how they're good at it, and they're not good at teaching it. Um, you know, all the time as, as a hiring manager, I would hire someone who has, let's say, 10 years of experience with ArcSight, and they would say, I'm a great analyst, and I know ArcSight really well. And mm-hmm. they would go to a place where we don't have ArcSight, and it turns out they're actually not a very good analyst at all. They just knew ArcSight, right? So they learned the tool. They didn't learn the crap. Right. <laughs> there, there's nobody really out there who's doing research on how to be an analyst, like how to be an investigator, the actual nuts and bolts process of how to connect the dots. And so that's really a focus of mine. And as far as I know, I'm the only one who's really doing that at this level. Um, and the class is kind of the manifestation of that, right? It, it, it's my version of here is how to be a stock analyst. Here's the class that I think anybody who wants to be a stock analyst should take because you have to recognize these processes and these tools and these tactics that you need, uh, you have to learn those things in order to do this successfully. And this is, it's basically the class I wish had existed when I started learning how to be an analyst. What, so along that course with your, so, I mean, I know what I'm trying to say. My mouth is not catching up to my brain here on that one. So let me try that all over again. All of your courses are online, to my understanding. Um, so if I do say something that's not correct, definitely clarify for me. But um, are your courses, 
designed to be um, in some type of order, or is it more just whatever suits your particular need? It seemed like when I looked at it, looked at your site, there were some things like, oh, I should, you know, since I know what I know, I'm thinking, oh, okay, I think if you do this and then that, you, you turn around better. But then you have a couple of things that that I don't know yet at all, like report writing. I hate report writing, so I let the automated templates do its thing for me. So my two questions are, one is, is your site or the class that you offer intended to be uh, in a specific order or no? And then question number two would be, um, what's the true benefit of being able to write a good report? Okay, so first, first yeah, they're all online. Uh, I teach an in-person version of a couple of them, so I teach an in-person version of investigation theory and the pack analysis. But for the most part, what you see is kind of meant to be just a menu, and you pick which ones you think are the most valuable to you. Um, you know, people come to me all the time and say, hey, I'm a SOC analyst, or I want to be one. Which classes would you, would you recommend? And I'll, I'll recommend three or four of them, and I'll say, yeah, I would take them in this order. So, for instance, you know, if you want to be a SOC analyst, I would recommend starting with investigation theory um, and then probably doing the, um, the report writing class and then after that, packet analysis, and then demystifying regular expressions, right? So I can kind of, if I know the person and I talk with them, and I do this almost every day, I talk with someone who, and I kind of talk to them through what courses are best for them, um, you know, we'll kind of figure that out per person off of that. Now, you asked about the writing course. <clears throat> the writing course is one of my favorite ones to build because obviously I really like writing. I've written five books. You don't write five books unless you either really love writing or hate yourself. Um, so... Writing is really from him career being kind of a tool, like tool to advance my career and, and do that by not just writing books, but like even like my, micro things like writing good emails, writing good reports, writing pen testing reports when I was doing pen testing. Like it's so important, and I don't know where I would be if I wasn't a decent writer, but nowhere close to where I am now. So that course is really designed for a couple things. One, obviously, to teach you how to be a better writer, but also teach you why writing is important. So you mentioned, you know, you do the automated reports and let them do that thing. Do the thing, and what you're, what you're, what's happening there is you're just you're missing a big opportunity to really capitalize on. You know, look at it this way: when you when you do an engagement with a client or a customer, or even with, with something within your organization, the report outlasts. Right? I would write a, a report and send them a pen test, and then I would get like three or four years later, like the the client would like reach back to me and say, hey, I'm looking at this thing from your report three or four years ago, and I had a question, or I did that, and it really helped, and you just don't know how long these things last. Like, that's, that's the beautiful thing about it is when you put words to paper, they're not yours anymore, and they can do some magical things. They can do some bad things, but they can also do some magical things, too. So that's, that's very, very powerful, and I think most people understand, misunderstand that. So you have the opportunity when you write something to, just, to do really cool things that outlast your current role. So I talk about that. I talk about ways that manifests, and, and it's not just how to become a better writer. It's why you should want. Well, I do certainly agree, and I want to just to be clear for my current employer, who uh, <laughs> lis listens on occasion. Uh, I will say that um, that question I meant to set myself up to look like I don't know why I would do something like that to give our guests an opportunity to fully explain to those who don't know why that's such an essential skill. And no, I don't just use the canned reports. I am probably more detailed and my eight paragraph emails uh, to my coworkers will certainly um, 
whatever purport that to be a true statement for me but you I start with to, 12 pages yeah well yeah um i i usually hear the i got to in the three sentences and i hit delete um usually so <laughs> uh but i wanted to make sure that chris had a great opportunity to to explain why somebody like me or who i was reported purporting to be that that was not the right way to go and that those writing skills are certainly essential and it sounds like he's teaching those skills to a degree that would benefit any, if not every uh, person that is in this field. So awesome. It is 942 in the East. We have been talking to Chris Sanders from a whole lot of places. If you have never heard of him, check him out on Twitter uh, at ChrisSanders88 and at ChrisSanders.org is one of his websites. You can go and check him out, see all the different things that he does. Now, Chris, before we end up uh, ending this thing and we never get there, let's talk a little bit about the, the charitable work that you are involved with. And um, you are at least a founder, if not the founder, of the Rural Tech Fund. Um, talk a little bit about kind of what that is, how it got started, and where it is today. Yeah, I, so I love talking about the Rural Tech Fund. Of all the things I do, um, I'm, I'm fortunate to be in a position where I can spend time doing charitable work and back to, to others, and particularly folks who are like I used to be, right? I'm, I'm from a very rural area in West Kentucky. It's a very isolated area. Um, it's surrounded, most people don't realize it, West Kentucky is surrounded by water on three sides, right? There are rivers that converge there, and it's very isolated. There wasn't even a bridge to cross the port to it uh, until like the uh, the early 1900s. So interesting place to grow up. I was at computers, and there wasn't really a lot for me, right? There wasn't a lot of scholarships. There wasn't there were any business that were doing that type of work for me to learn from, no internship. Uh, I, was, I was very fortunate to have a few teachers who cared about me, who really appreciated And you know, without them, I, I have no idea what I would be doing today, but nothing as cool as what I'm doing now. So I basically want to help kids like me or from rural areas. Rural areas are struggling. They're struggling as much now as they ever have, especially with a lot of industrial and agricultural business leaving the area. Um, so, you know, we have these kids who are interested in computers, and every town has at least one, right? You have the, the kid who was interested in computers who thinks he's the only one. Nowadays, you probably have four or five. They don't all know each other. So we're trying to give resources to these types of kids to get them um, interested in tech jobs because we all know what tech jobs mean. They're, they're high-paying jobs that are readily available. Information security has almost no one a job. Uh, you could probably find one, uh, and it's going to pay well, and you can often work them at home. You can work them from the rural areas and invest that money back in your community. So we we basically partner up with teachers, really passionate teachers in rural areas, and give them things like 3D printers or Raspberry Pis or Arduinos, um, things that will help them teach kids about computer science and get them excited about it because we know that this, those jobs hold a lot of potential. So we do that now. Um, we started out in 2008, so we've been going for 10 years. and Measure our success in how many students we help, how many students we introduce to technology. And right now, the number is just north of 50,000 in 10 years. Um, so it's it's been a wild ride. It's been really fun. We've uh, it's been exciting to see what happens to these students and how it benefits them and some of the careers they go to have. So 50,000 students in 40 states. Um, we're ramping this up. We're really hoping to reach 100,000 total students by 2020 in all 50 states. Um, so it's it's just been an amazing thing, and it's just um, Teachers are amazing people, and um, it's awesome to be able to help them do this type of work in their communities. 
Yeah, it certainly sounds awesome. I know that reading your site, um, my teacher, or my teacher, <laughs> my oldest daughter is a teacher at, in Ohio, what is called a charter school. And um, so they are small, privately owned schools. And she's always looking for things like that. And um, we set her up with some raspberry pies uh, not long ago for her class. She's a math and science teacher. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So I am a first-hand um experienced person with the that it had nothing to do with the rtf but um the fact that what you're doing is very similar to what she had to do on her own is awesome too bad she didn't know about you guys ahead of time but um what so for for teachers and or students um you guys are doing other things too i mean you've got um ways for teachers to reach out to you guys um you're you mentioned maker spaces and other things um, and for those that don't know what a makerspace is, take a moment to kind of expand on the types of things that somebody might expect to experience in that kind of space. Yeah, well, the key word is making and making things. And the idea is that you make something and learn something cool along the way, right? So this is where you'll find things like 3D printers, where you're combining the skills of visual design with engineering. Right? It's things like robotics, where you're actually learning about electronics or coloring. Uh, or even programming, like programming has a place in makerspaces. So taking Raspberry Pis and using Scratch or Python to code things and maybe even connect those to the physical world. Um, you know, one of the things that, that kids start with is building a traffic light, right? Something very, very simple. And that can turn into really cool things like building an automatic watering system for your garden, right? Like those those are things that kids are actually doing. And, you know, it's like middle school now. So that's I look at it as a space for creativity and to learn about engineering and tech and many other things, a place to learn to be civic and community-minded. And also, to some degree, it's kind of the natural evolution of the library. Right? We think about libraries as just places where you sit around and read books, and that's not really what libraries are anymore. Libraries are becoming the makerspace. Um, and it's, just a, it's a beautiful thing, and it introduces kids to technology and a way of engaging and fun. Yeah, we, um, I, I was just, as you were talking, I was just kind of envisioning where I was. I mean, I'm much older, so we didn't even have internet when I was in high school. But um, I, I'm, I'm trying to envision, you know, now, like, the experiences that my daughter's having versus the school that my 12-year-old goes to is a very highly rated uh, Ohio school system. And they have funding and they have great teachers and they have all these things so you know they have access to everything technology and then somebody like what you just described they rural and they don't have anything and the ability to plug in a raspberry pi or an arduino or something else and just make stuff at a makerspace or print their favorite superhero that they designed for themselves on a 3d printer is i mean it's, it's awesome stuff and it amazes me that Technology is still not everywhere in the U.S. that I would expect it to be. Yeah, absolutely. And so we, we, we work with a lot of teachers, and really, I mean, you mentioned the website's rural 
org, and you know we go out and try to find some of these teachers on our own um, using things like like donors cues and whatnot. But the teachers can also reach out to us. Um, I, 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 we do this all the time. A teacher will email me out of the blue and say, "Hey, I'm in you know this town you never heard of in rural Texas, and we want to do this cool thing with you know 3D printers." And I'll say, "Well, all right, let's do it." Um, sometimes they want, and they just tell me, and we'll, sometimes they don't. They need some help, and they say, "I want to teach kids about robotics, but I don't know how." And we can tell them what's working in other classrooms we work with. So, uh, if you're a teacher and you're listening to this, find that work. Uh, contact information is there, and uh, everything you fill out on that contact form goes directly to me. So that's your your best way to uh, a best chance to get some help. Nice, and not only teachers. Um, you have scholarships there too that I've read about uh, for students. So. Students and it looks like um, so it looks like the submission deadline for the 2018-2019 year has passed. But it looks like April of every year is the submission deadline. Is that yeah. true? Yep, that's it. And we give uh, we give a few of them. I, mean, I give like one out that goes to my hometown. It's just my hometown. We give one for a student interested in cyber security. Uh, and I say one. We, it, it kind of varies. I'm sure, we actually got a couple of those. It just depends on the quality of the application. Around April of every year is the deadline. Start checking around uh, around December is when we post the new the new applications every year. So if you're a student uh, or you're a parent of a student, check that out. Very nice. Uh, I, I again I can't say enough about um, any organization that wants to try to help kids get involved. And I happen to be particular to uh, girls in technology, uh, having an older daughter who is a teacher, math and science teacher, and now a twelve year old who just completed her first code camp and designed her first uh, video game uh, using some yeah. online resources. Well, I'll, so. I'll tell you um, an interesting fact. And I, you know, you know, I'm a big supporter of, of women in tech, women in STEM. And for the last two or three years, we actually now see more applications for scholarships from women than we do for men. Um, and that, that's gone up dramatically, right? So I think that's a positive sign. Nice. Well, I, I certainly support that as best I can, and we're even going to be visiting the Diana Initiative out at the, in Vegas at the uh, DEF CON event. Uh, they'll be out there, and that's their whole function is women. Uh, all right, Chris, before we let you go, the one last topic that I've been holding off on uh, and that we started this entire thing joking about, you are a self-proclaimed pitmaster, barbecue pitmaster. Now, you mentioned Texas. You live in Georgia. You've been somewhere around Tennessee, or I'm sorry, Kentucky. Um, so barbecue, I mean, there's even Kansas City barbecue. You've got, okay, so Mr. Pitmaster. Uh, Carolina. Yeah, I mean, so tell me, where, where where's the best barbecue, and and how how do you make yours to make it to be so awesome? Well, you know, it, it's kind of a regional thing to degree, and it's getting to be less so, I mean, if you, most of our barbecue is regional, right? So if I want if I want brisket, uh, I'm going to Texas. That's where you get the best brisket. I'm probably going to Austin, for that matter. Uh, if I want pulled pork, I'm going to go to Georgia or North Carolina um, for the most part. If I want um, if I want ribs, I'm probably going to Kansas City or Memphis, depending on how I want them. Um, and then if, you know, then you can get into sauces, and we can talk about sauces for a while. If I want mustard-based sauce. South Carolina, if I want, you know, man-based sauce, I'm going to Alabama. If I want Worcestershire sauce, I'm going to Kentucky. So it's a, it's a highly regional thing. Um, it's getting to be less so with kind of everything that to mesh together and so on. But, uh, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a pork guy for the most part. Uh, I'm in Georgia. We have a, a copious amount of fruit wood. Fruit wood goes really well with pork. It just it just puts a good color and a good flavor. I cook mostly with cherry. And, 
Um, so I, I spend a lot of time cooking ribs. Uh, I'm from Kentucky, so I have to cook uh, some mutton every now and then. Most people have had mutton, but it's an adult sheep. Um, you cook it kind of like you would a pulled pork shoulder. So um, that's what I do. I've, uh, I'm actually hosting a big Fourth of July barbecue on Saturday, and I've got uh, like two pounds of meat sitting in my fridge right now. I've got a, I've got a giant brisket. I've got some mutton. I've got some pulled pork. It's going to be a good time. So if you're having that thing on Saturday, uh, what time Friday night or Saturday morning are you getting up to start cooking that stuff? <laughs> I will start about 5 a.m. on Saturday morning and cook it and cook till uh, the same. The event starts at 7 in, in the evening, so I'll, I'll be cooking pretty close up until that, you know, different things throughout the day. Mm. Nice, very nice. I have been to a few of those types of events where somebody just like that woke up at 4 a.m. and loaded up the trailer and, and drove to the, the place and did their thing. So it always tastes great, but I'm, I'm not, I'm pretty sure I am, the, the, I'm on the eating side of that, not on the cooking side of that, I think. Well, I, I tell you, that that's the best side to be on, because I'll tell you what happens every single time, and, and this happens to other folks who do barbecue as well, is you spend all day cooking it, and so you smell it all day long, and by the time it gets time to eat it and feed other people, you actually don't want it anymore. Like, and this will happen to me Saturday is, is I'll cook it all day and seven o'clock will roll around and guests will roll in and I'll, I'll just focus on making sure they're taken care of and everything. And, and I just, I just probably won't eat anything. Like I, might, I might eat some of the side, but I just, I just smell that barbecue all day and just like picking at it to make sure everything's going all right. I just don't really want to eat it by the end of the day, which is kind of, kind of sad. Um, I guess that's what leftovers are for. Nice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, it is almost 9.55 in the east, so we're just about getting ready to have to let Chris go. But before we do, um, please take a moment to mention whatever topic that we didn't talk about that you're hoping we were or, or contact info about the different things that you do for people to reach out to you or if they want to find one of your books, whatever it is, the floor is yours. Okay, great. Well, thanks well, all for having me on. It's been a, it's been a fun hour. Um, you know, if you want, most everything I have is kind of centralized on my, my blog, which is chrissanders.org. Um, you find from from there to uh, my, to my company, to Applied Network Defense, to the Rural Technology Fund, um, all that stuff. So, um, you know, the Rural Technology Fund is a nonprofit. It's 501c3, so donations are tax deductible. It's a forward to there. There's ability to donate. Um, even if not, um, take a look at Applied Network Defense. We donate a portion of every course sale to uh, the Rural Technology Fund, and also we support a bunch of other charities as well. We, we try to spread it around a little bit. So take a look. You can find our course catalog at networkdefense.io, um, and you can find me. I'm pretty easy to get a hold of. There's a contact form on chrissanders.org, or I'm on Twitter at chrissanders88, if you all said. So, again, thank you all for having me on. Yeah, no problem, man. Yeah, well, we appreciate your time and um, you know letting us reach out to you in a cold fashion just not too long ago and agreeing to jump on. And for those of you who might have missed any part of this, of course, you can catch uh, this part of the podcast all over again on iHeartRadio, iTunes, all the iStuff you want, uh, podcast software that you like, just about any place. Um, and, of course, our Twitter feed will have uh, tweets at Chris's stuff too, so you'll better track him down one way or the other. All right, Chris, thank you again. We appreciate the fact that you wanted to jump on with us and uh, and you fought through uh, our technical difficulties early. We appreciate that too, and um, hopefully we will bump into you in person someplace along the road. Sounds good. Appreciate you. All right, bud. Thank you. Bye bye. All right, Chris Sanders, everyone. Wow, that's uh, man. Uh, (laughs) See. They were going to laugh at me because they thought I was going to call him the other name. See, yeah. I just 
I just you didn't got call him Ryan. I know. So I get an instant message from our uh, engineer. Like uh, our engineer's name is Ryan, and a few episodes ago, <laughs> I called a guest Ryan because I was looking at my screen, and uh, the engineer started like, "No, no, no." I'm like, "Oh yep. yeah." So and he quickly he he quickly did uh, correct you. Yes, he did. That was so funny. Uh, so now it's kind of a running gag is will I call a guest Ryan in real time? And I made it through again. So hey, who was I'll, that? Was that Kyle? Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, Kyle Butt. Yep. So, Ryan Butt. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hi, Kyle. Uh, anyway, so, yeah. Great. Uh, and, Give us some applause for that. That's right. Hold on. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are they coming? Hold on. Hold on. Oh, I hear it now. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good call, Ryan. There we go. All right. Thank you, Ryan. All right. So, and, and again, for those of you who, um, you know, it sounded like we might have had um, Chris on a cell phone or a Bluetooth or possibly over yeah. VoIP. He was cutting in and out. We were yeah. trying to clean it up, but it looked like it was an Internet-based issue that we couldn't control. So yeah. we apologize for some of the audio quality. And um, if nothing else, at some point down the road, we'll bring him back on again. And uh, Blame and it on to... net neutrality. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Damn it. They were they were censoring us or something. I don't know. So they were slowing oh, us yeah. down. That's what they were doing. Conspiracy theory, I guess. Conspiracy. All right. So uh, real quick. So starting next week and through uh, July and August, we're going to start having guests from different places. So some of the guests that we're going to meet at, um, at Black Hat, at DEF CON, um, at the uh, – at the Secure World events from around the U.S., uh, you want to check them out. We mentioned earlier about going to um, the B-sides, but Secure World is an event that uh, also hosts in some larger cities, and they have a lot of great content. And so if you can't, again, get out to one of these big things or, like, pay all the money for a SANS or something, you certainly want to mm-hmm. check out Secure World and, uh, and visit one of them. So we're going to start having some of their guests from the different cities, people that are going to do presentations at their events, and they will be guests on our show. So over the next six or seven uh, consecutive weeks, we'll be uh, just crazy, uh, crazy busy with all these people from these different events. And just for reference, the week of Black Hat uh, slash DEF CON, uh, Jason and I will not be live. We will be recording yep. interviews while we're there and then we'll be putting Pre-record. those together. That's right. So that Thursday we will not be live, um, but uh, within uh, the following week after, we're going to have a bunch of uh, like 15 and 20 minute episode or um, interviews that we'll put in one big episode and upload. So it should be great. And uh, he and I are both excited to head out west. So yeah, absolutely. So awesome. So yeah, starting next week, man, bam, bam, bam. We got just people that are and not sales people either i mean these are going to be tech people just like chris people don't, yeah, work. We don't need sales people that's right so uh awesome we're expecting uh some great some great uh, interviews and some great things all right so we are out of time i am uh dave now i'm jason and this is bring your own security radio until next week thanks everyone have a good night yeah good night Thank you for listening to Bring Your Own Security Radio. Join us every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for a new episode. Find us on Facebook and on Twitter at BYOS Radio, or find us on the web at bringyourownsecurity.net. Safe browsing, everyone.